that song, One Day at a Time, I was uh, part of a youth group, and, and they decided to do that. And that song meant a lot to me. It was the first time I got on stage and actually sang. And it also made me realize I can't sing. <laughs> so it's bittersweet. Question today, are you a real-life Christian? We're going to take a break from our series in 1 Corinthians and, and go jump over to James, which is why I said earlier, chance may have to turn me down because we're in the book of James. So let me, uh, let me start off with a little story here. <clears throat> I told you I had a dad joke for you. Well, this will work. At the marketplace, a seller advertises one salad for $3, three salads for $10. Now, a customer passing by stops and speaks with the seller. He says, that's not right. What do you mean, the vendor asks? Well, that's not an offer. Three salads cost $9. No, sir, it says here that three salads cost $10. I know, but if I buy one salad, how much do I pay? $3, he replies. And if I buy two, $6. Yes, because three plus three is six. Now, what about three plus three plus three? Well, that makes nine, says the vendor. So three salads cost $9. No, sir, they cost $10. It's written just over there on that board. The client can't fathom such stubbornness in another human being and proceeds to prove his point to the seller. Here, he says, let me buy a salad. That'll be $3, sir. Now I'd like one more salad. Well, that'll be $3 again, sir. And finally, let me buy one last salad. Well, that'll also be $3, sir. Now how much did I pay you for those three salads? Well, $3 plus $3 plus $3, you, you paid $9. See, three salads are worth $9, not 10. You won't sell many salads if you do it this way. Yes, sir, I almost sold all my stock to people like you wanting to prove they're smarter than me by buying three salads they don't need <laughs> just to make sure they are superior. My technique works. Besides, I can overprice those salads to $3 and no one bats an eye. Humanity, folks, has a problem. That problem persists even to those who call themselves Christians. And that previous story illustrates it. We're in the book of James today again. Well, for the first time in a long time. The book of James was written by the half-brother of Jesus, the son of Joseph and Mary, written in the early 40s, and he wrote primarily to Jews who were the Christians, as at that time... It was so early in the spread of Christianity that it had not been widely adopted by non-Jews, which we call Gentiles. James encouraged his readers to live consistent Christian lives in the midst of persecution for their faith in Christ. He says he writes to the twelve tribes in dispersion, which is likely due to the fact that Christians in and around Jerusalem were being persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ and were being driven out of the area and we're setting in farther and farther regions from there. James chapter 1, verse 19 is our text. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. 
For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your scripture, specifically, Lord, I ask that you would speak through me. Lord, that you would give me the words to utter. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would change our hearts and our minds. That though we come in to worship, Lord, that we would exit to serve. That we would spread the good news that there can be peace between God and man through Jesus Christ. We thank you, Lord, for that. We thank you, Lord, for your shed blood on the cross. And we praise you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. The true Christian is ruled by God's purity, not selfishness or wrath. Number one, don't be ruled by wrath. James 1.19 Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires, so get rid of all the filth and evil in your lives and humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it has the power to save your souls. Now, before this section, James was writing about trials and temptations. And so he calls them brothers and sisters as well. Did you notice that? He says, dear brothers, who are the beloved? Who are they that he's talking to? How are they loved? How are they related? They are related by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, making them all a part of the body of Christ. No matter how far or how close their geological, social, or linguistic separation, they are all brothers and sisters of Christ, as is all Christians in this church here and Christians in churches around the nation and indeed the world. John fifteen twelve says, This is my commandment, love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master does not confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything and the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my commandment, love each other. Jesus says to his disciples that they're not just mere servants, but they are friends. Not only that, he says, the disciples didn't choose him, he chose the disciples. Because he calls them brothers and sisters. We know James is talking about the saved, the ones the disciples preached to, the ones that received Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. These are the Christians, those that have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit and have that relationship are Christians. Now, James gives us the best piece of advice for dealing with the trials, temptations, and stuff that he wrote before. 
He, he said, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Too often we're slow to listen, quick to speak, and very quick to anger. Things don't always go our way. Did you notice that? Did you, in your life you notice that things don't go your way? A lot of times it's because we want it our way. Well, guess what? We want, we want what we want. Why? Because we're selfish. Now, bear with me there. But I do have something to tell you, and it's a big secret. You want to hear it? You've never heard this before from me, I'm sure. The kingdom of God, Christianity, Jesus, the church, is not Burger King, and you can't get it your way. Okay? So in the midst of dealing with others, we should be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. They say don't discipline in anger when you're dealing with children, don't they? Well, the same can be said when dealing with adults. But pastor, that's hard. Like, it's just hard, and I don't want to do it. Well, it, like I tell my students, if it were easy, everyone would do it. So buckle down and get it done. Train yourself to do it anyway. Make it a matter of prayer. If you're weak in this area, then lean on God for the power to make it happen. 2 Corinthians 12.8 says, Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time he said, My grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness, so now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. Folks, there's been many times that I had wished I had followed the command, be slow to speak. Many times. But I didn't. That then not only would things not blow up, I wouldn't have to have to get on my, you know, get on my hands and knees before God and apologize and then go to the person with my hat in my hand and go, I did wrong. I'm sorry. I'm human. James 1.20 says, For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Do you really think your angry outburst is going to bring God's righteousness? Guess what? We aren't God. You aren't God. Don't try to take care of anything right at the time that you're angry. Guess what? It's not going to go well for you. I'm talking from experience. And I'm not talking about children here either. I'm talking between adults. Whether that's biological family or the family in Christ, you need to cool down first. And I know I've probably shared with most of the people here before, but I saw a church split happen once as a kid over a sprinkler head. One deacon wanted it moved that way, one deacon wanted it moved that way, and then they split the church over this sprinkler head. That's ridiculous. But at the time, I'm sure they both thought it was quite, that was their way, that's the way it should be. You know what? I don't think they ever turned those sprinklers on the whole time I was there after that either. I'm just saying. Got to cool down. Ephesians 4.26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Romans 12.19 says, Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. It's not up to you folks. Leave it to God. 
And then somebody's going to go, but, 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 but God, he'll forgive them, and, and then they may not get what they deserve. Aren't you glad you didn't get what you deserve? You got Jesus Christ's righteousness imputed to you. Have some grace. Now, if we go back and we look at James 1.21, in our main text, it says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Because we need to act right before each other as Christians. We should lay aside all filthiness in our character. Now, this includes losing your temper, saying dirty jokes or wrong language, etc., and receive with meekness the word of God. Ephesians 4.29 says, Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Now the question's asked, well, what is meekness? What is that about? Well, too many times people associate meekness with weakness. That's not true. Would you say Jesus was weak? I'd say he had some strength. But he was definitely meek. What is meekness? Well, it's strength under control in humility before God. Meekness is strength under control in humility before God. James 4, 6 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And if we look back at, a, at our main verse there, 121, it states the only through meekness, which includes humility, can we receive and have the implanted word of God. What is this word? Notice that the word there is implanted, meaning it has been given and has taken root in our lives. The Word of God has been given, and it needs to take root in our lives. And this goes beyond just knowing the Bible, but putting the principles and the commands found in it into daily use. Jeremiah 31-33 says, But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. How awesome it is that this scripture was fulfilled in Christ. Now we have the Holy Spirit in us, quickening our lives to make these laws come alive and active in our hearts and in our minds. The person who says that, that they're a Christian, but there's no fruit in, and they have no compulsion to follow the words of Christ, they have a problem, a real problem. Galatians 5.22 says, but the Holy Spirit produces this, kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. The person who has none of these things in their lives, yet claims to be born again, guess what? They're really not. They have an attitude that the holiness of God is not something to be attained. They want their fire insurance so they can say a prayer and tell people they're good and move on. These people aren't Christians because there is no sign of the working of the Holy Spirit in their lives. The worst part is that they deceive themselves, believing they're going to be saved from God's righteous judgment, but they're not. Let me tell you a true story. There's a man in a church who owns multiple strip clubs, and he goes to church every Sunday. Goes to Sunday school, knows the word. Pastor looked at 
one, another pastor and he said, I just don't understand how Christians can live that way. Christians don't! Christians don't live that way. They feel the conviction power of the Holy Spirit. These kinds of people, they can hide in a church, but they cannot hide from God. These people need Jesus to save their souls. Only the implanted Word of God can do that. To save our souls and straighten out our rotten minds can only happen by the power of God. Speaking of rotten minds, remember Romans 12, 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Point two. Don't be ruled by self. Don't be ruled by self. James 1.22 says, But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. <clears throat> Ladies, I know that when you look in a mirror, you comb your hair, some of you put on makeup, some of you don't, but you, you go out of the house presentable, right? But when you look like me, you don't have to do that because you don't have any hair. And you can still go out presentable. No, I'm kidding. I just wanted to make a bald joke there. <laughs> Tim, Tim finally lost his hair, apparently, so he's, he's bald, too. So It's about time he came over to this side of the fence. It's better over here, isn't it? <laughs> uh, back to our scripture. Uh, verse 22 says to actually do what the Word of God commands. Could you imagine that if every person in every church all over the world did what God said to do, did what the Bible said to do, this would have a ton, this world would have a ton of Christians. And there would be no shortage of people in church. The world would be a much better place. There wouldn't be church splits either, especially over sprinkler heads. Matthew 28, 16 says, The eleven disciples left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some of them doubted. And Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You know, as Baptists, we're real good on getting people to convert or give a profession of faith, but we forget about discipleship a lot of times. Why? Well, I think it comes down to selfishness, because it requires something of us. First, we don't want to do what the Scriptures say in our lives, our character and our actions, because that causes us to give ourselves up and embrace Christ's life, His character, His actions. We want to be independent instead of dependent on Christ. Second, discipleship takes time. It requires a person to be with you. 
Think about the 12 disciples. They were with Jesus morning, noon, and night all the time for three years. They ate with Jesus. They did ministry with Jesus. They were taught by Jesus. They were with Jesus pretty much every day, all day, with no stopping. Today, people don't want to give up their time. So here we are in the 21st century. And pardon this phraseology, but the world's going to hell in a handbasket, folks. And we sit in padded pews in air-conditioned buildings and do nothing about it. If you want to grow as a Christian in a church, then it's past time to give of yourselves. It's past time to give of ourselves. We need to be the salt of the world and get our lives straight and do the discipleship as Christ commanded us. Not just seeking converts, not just seeking mouth service and lip service and their hearts are far from God, but to have our hearts close to God and seek people to disciple, not just profess. Matthew 5.13 says, You are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Do you know the worst part about someone who is deceiving themselves? They don't know they're deceived. Many times it's because of their own failing. Failing to examine self. Failing to examine character, speech, and thoughts before God. Many people in pews all over, this, all over this church here today and maybe elsewhere who have been told you need to make disciples, they go, I'm good, I make disciples. I go, to, I, go to, I go to church on Sundays and, you know, go to work and go home and that's it. That's not making disciples, folks. That, that's what I call punching a time clock, putting in your time. Jesus isn't about putting in your time. He's about your whole life. 1 Corinthians 11.31 says, But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. Did you know God's going to judge us? He starts with the house of God first. 2 Corinthians 10.3 says, We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons, to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture their rebellious thoughts and we teach them to obey Christ. Now James has given us an example of what he's talking about. We're going to move on to verse 23. It says, For if you listen to the word and don't obey it, it is like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself, walk away, and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. If you want to have God's blessing, then you need to be a doer of the Word of God, both individually and corporately. Are you talking to people about Jesus? Do they know by the way you behave that you're a Christian? Are you discipling anybody? If not, then in actuality, you become a pew warmer. You become lazy in the kingdom of God. Get to work on yourself and commit time and prayer and study of God's word, as well as discipleship of others. The following story that I'm about to give you illustrates well what Christianity, and I use the term Christianity loosely here, has become. It looks like they care, but really... It's about what's in it for them. They're all about their selfish desire. Let that never be said about anyone who's ever come out of this church, that they're all about their selfish desire. 
One afternoon, and it's a lawyer joke, so. One afternoon, a wealthy lawyer was riding in the back of his limousine when he saw two pathetic-looking men by the side of the road, and they were eating grass. And he ordered his driver to stop and go out to investigate, and he asked the men, Why are you eating grass? We don't have no money for food, the first man replied. Then you must come with me to my house, insisted the lawyer. But sir, I got a wife and three kids here, said the man. Bring them along, replied the lawyer. The second man exclaimed, I got a wife and six kids. Bring them too, the lawyer yelled as he headed back to his limo. They all climbed in the car and one of the men said, Sir, you are too kind. Thank you for taking all of us with you. And the lawyer replied, I'm most happy to do it. You'll love my place. The grass is almost a foot tall. And lastly, be ruled by the purity of Christ. Be ruled by the purity of Christ. James 1.26 If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God, the Father, means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. Now, I have students every year who come into my classroom and they use the Lord, Lord's name in vain. Every year. At a Christian school. It's become so a part of their natural speech, they don't even realize they're doing it. They always use the word, oh my God! And then they continue until I stop them and say, excuse me, please don't use the name of the Lord of God in vain in my classroom. That bothers me. Do you know what I hear every time? I can't help it, Mr. Kramer! To which I respond, you control your tongue, no one else. You can help it, you just got to train your tongue to do what's right. Now quit it. Today, people become too used to using this phrase as well as other words as a part of their communication. They don't even think about it anymore. The F word is common today. When you say to the Christian who talks this way that they can stop it, they look at you and like you lost, they, like you lost your mind. What do you mean? I, I can control what I think? And then they ask themselves, why should they? Why should I stop? One, because God said so. And God said, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Two, it can ruin your testimony. The person inside says to themselves, why should I go to church with you? Why should I believe in this Jesus that you believe in? You're just like me. You do the same stuff I do. There's no difference between us. You smoke, drink, carouse. You do all these things. Guess what? I don't need to add Jesus on my life. I don't want the drama. If we would just learn to control what we say, whether in trials or in temptations, we would be a whole lot better reflectors of the grace of God. We'd be a whole lot better off in our reflection of Jesus. You and I, and this is a scary point, are the only examples of Christ the unsaved will ever have. You are all that the unsaved will ever have of heaven. If we aren't different, then what is it in the world? Then our religion's worthless. If we're just the same, what's the point? It makes no impact on other people. We're just adding Jesus on. 
We're to be different. We're to be changed. We're to be renewed. And folks, if that doesn't convict you this morning in any way whatsoever, then i got to tell you, you're not saved. You need Jesus. James 1.27 says, Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. You know, orphans and widows had very few resources during this time in the ancient world. They were the ones that needed the help the most, and they didn't have anything which to give other people to get it either. They had nothing to give. Our works before the world and those of our community should be for those who can't do anything for you. There's no quid quo pro quo in Jesus Christ, in the church, or there shouldn't be. Our works should be for those who truly need a hand up. Too often, churches and pastors only seem to do things for the more higher-ups in their midst, financially speaking. That should never be the case. We should be reaching everyone, not just those that have some kind of social status in order to make ourselves look more important. That honor you were going to give the rich man, how about giving it to the poor man first? James also says that we are to keep ourselves unspotted by the world, to be holy. Guess what? 1 Peter 1.16 says... For the scriptures say you must be holy because I am holy. Holiness is not mentioned in our churches anymore today because it's too closely resembled to religiosity, to doing works. But folks, there is a a part of you where the Holy Spirit regenerates you and he says, don't do that. Then you don't do it. Yet holiness is one of the most important concepts of the Christian life. It's not an option that someone can just take or leave. It is a command. As we are being sanctified, which simply means that we're being cleaned up little by little throughout our lives, God's glory and love becomes manifested through the church. To sum it up like this, a person's religion before God should consist of true selfless actions and purity from the world's moral impurity. That's what it should be. If you, in in your relationship with God, he says, puts on your heart, hey, don't watch TV for this number of time or ever, then that's between you and God. He didn't give that to me, but he may have given it to you. Why? I don't know. Maybe you need something from that time with him. No idea. Sometimes God asks us to give things up for something better. The true Christian Folks, it all comes down to this. Remember nothing, remember this. The true Christian is ruled by God's purity, not selfishness or wrath. The true Christian is ruled by God's purity, not selfishness or wrath. Can you say that you are a true Christian, though? Are you sure? As ladies come, are you sure that you're sure that you're sure that if you were to die today, you stepped out of these, this building and a church or, or a bus hit you. Maybe even a church bus, I don't know. But it, wouldn't that be ironic? That you would wake up in heaven with Jesus. That you would be there. If you're not sure, you can get sure. Jesus can save you. For those that are listening by audio or streaming as well, Jesus can save you. From yourself, from your sin, from your wickedness, from your evil desires. The Bible says sin separates us from God. 
Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, His Son. And how do we get it? He tells us in Romans 10.13, They that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Folks, you can say a big flowery prayer you can say something like, Lord, I need you. Come into my heart. Be my master, Lord and Savior. Or you can go, help! Jesus! It's not what you say, but the intent of the heart. We've got too many people who have looked at the words they say as some magical formula. That's not what it is. It's the intent of the heart. Do you need Jesus? And for those of us that are saved... Let me ask you a question. When we look at your life, if you say you're saved, is there fruit being shown? Kindness, gentleness, peace, all those things we discussed. Is there fruit? If there's not, then you might want to ask Jesus and make sure you're, you, you, know, you and him know each other, that he knows you. Because there are going to be people on that day in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, it says, For many on that day will say to me, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not done many wonderful works in thy name? And he'll say, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye who work iniquity. He never knew him. They thought they knew him, but they didn't. Make sure you're where you should be. And maybe there's an area of your life that maybe you haven't just surrendered to God. Maybe, maybe it's your language. Maybe it's, maybe it's something that, that he's been impressing on you. You need to do that. You need to let God work in you. I need to let God work in me. The longer I live this life, the more I realize, Lord, thank you for changing me day by day. Because I can't make the changes. Only you can. We've got to rely on him. We've got to make sure our testimonies aren't corrupted. So that we can tell people there's a God who loves them. And died for them. Shed his blood for them. Took their sins on himself. That's what God commanded us to do. He gave us the great commission to do that. And if we're not living in such a way, we're not willing to submit to the Holy Spirit to clean us up day by day, then we have two questions. One, am I saved? And two, Lord, why am I not doing this? You know there's a scripture that says there's even a sin that leads unto death. Now, I can't be dogmatic. My personal feeling about it right now is that when you get to a point in your life where you're no longer useful to the kingdom and you're actually hurting the kingdom of God, I personally believe he'll take you out. I got no scripture for that. Other than, what could that mean? What could that sin that leads unto death for a Christian really mean? I struggled with that for many, many years. So this morning, if you don't know Jesus, I can introduce you to him. You come on right up. At home, if you don't know Jesus, you go ahead and you reach out to him. If you need special prayer, I'm up here, I'll pray with you. If you'd like to join this church by letter, statement, or baptism, we can do that too.
somebody have to go get Miss Vivian because I see she went that way. But we can do that. As we stand and sing the invitation hymn, or invitation song.